0: Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Hi, good morning, everyone. It's good to have, can I, can I get some of the house lights on? Because I want to see everybody's faces when I talk about what I'm going to talk about today. I need to look into your eyes. No, I'm just kidding. We want to welcome you uh, this morning. It's, it's an honor to have you with us and um, if you're new to Restoration Life, we're so blessed by you. Thank you so much for being here and all of our online family uh, here in California and around the nation. It's good to have you guys online with us as well. Can the church just welcome everybody online right now and just say, hey, we miss you guys. Uh, maybe you need to come back home. Amen. <laughs> it, it's good to have you with us. And, um, you know, today's uh, somewhat of a unique day. Um, we've, we've been in um, a series entitled Mosaic. And it really has um, this picture idea of the body of Christ coming together as one beautiful masterpiece in Christ Jesus. And um, one of the things that, that God has been really dealing with me about, especially over um, the last couple of weeks, believe it or not, is you know, taking a really good look um, at my heart and my position, my interpretation, and my conviction to teach our church adequately adequately in different areas of spiritual stewardship and so if you've been at restoration life for any length of time you know that um, we were very big on on making disciples and not creating crowds crowds don't change the world crowds don't change the world disciples do And so um, we believe that God has called us to make disciples of all nations, um, to baptize them in the name of Jesus, and and to watch God move in them and through them. And so uh, church on Sunday is like boot camp. It's like an equipping of the saints so that you can go out and be who God created and called you to be. And so I think we've been really good at discipleship. I think we've been really good at developing leaders I think we've been really good at reaching the lost and the broken. I think we've been really good at being super creative. And we've done a lot of incredible things over the last, you know, 13 years as a church here. Um, and even beyond that, prior to that, the church being here for um, now going on 102 years um, here in, on, on this corner, believe it or not. Um, but one thing that I've never done, and you might have heard me say this last Sunday, um, that I started to have a, a deep conviction about, especially um, over this whole campaign of planting this new campus, is that in in the 20 years of ministry that that I've led the church, um, I've never done a sermon series whatsoever on tithes and offerings. I've never really spent a whole lot of time on Sunday mornings teaching our congregation how to be good stewards over everything that God has put in their hands to steward over. For instance... If you're married, God's called you to be a good steward over your marriage. Can somebody say amen? If you have children, God's called you to be a good steward over your children. Um, If you're in ministry, God has called you to be a good steward over your ministry. Every single one of us have received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And because we've received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, these gifts are to edify the body, to equip the body, to expand the body, and establish the kingdom of God till the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And so we've been really good at a lot of those things. But if I'm just being honest, I've shied away as far as I can um, from talking about finances because of the stigmata that's attached to any pastor that talks about money. Right? And and if there's anything that I've learned about, uh, about church and people is that there are two things that they tend to get really quiet in when you try to help them with it. And, and, and the, one of the things that people don't like you helping them with is how to parent their children. Don't tell me how to raise my children. <laughs> right? We, we, we all have different ways of disciplining our children. I don't know about you, but I grew up with the chancla and the belt. Uh, very common to me, right? Some of you grew up with the switch. Um, some of you grew up with the switch blade. I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> But we all have different upbringings, and we all come from different um, um, ethnicities, and we all come from different cultures, and we all have um, different ways that we were raised by our moms and our dads, or just our moms, or just our dads, or, you know, there are just so many variables when it comes to our upbringing, and um, I just came home, I was, I was gone ministering for another church in our network, uh, Roxanne and I were ministering at their marriage retreat, and... Um, Man, it was just such an incredible time, but while I was up there, I just kept on having this thing just being stirred up inside of me about how uh, we are to be good stewards over everything that God has put in our hands to steward, and I think sometimes we do really well in other areas of life, but not so many, or not so good in in this area, and so we're going to get uncomfortable this morning, and I'm going to talk to you about having a heart of generosity And if you open your app, I've spent quality time, um, open your app, the notes are on the app, the fill-ins are on the app, and all the scriptures are on the app, because I really want you guys to go home with this, to pray about it, to talk to God about it, and how about you just do whatever God tells you to do. Is that okay? All right. That's already quiet, you see? You're already uncomfortable. I haven't even said anything um, except money. Talking about money because money matters. In fact, well, we'll get there for just a second. But um, in Second Samuel chapter twenty-four, and I don't think Cora had the opportunity to put this portion of Scripture in your app because it just hit me this morning while we were in worship. Something that I remember King David saying. But I want to read to you a portion of Scripture, and then we're going to jump in on this, and then I'm going to try, um, I, I'm going to try to get us through this message as far as I can. Um, because I want you to process everything for as long as you can. Um, and so follow along with me, and we're going to go on a journey together in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, when it talks about tithes and offerings or generosity. Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 21 through 25. Um, let me just set up the story. David. David's not in a good place. King David is not in a good place right now. Um, in fact, um, he, he did something he wasn't supposed to do, which I think all of us could relate to David on that. Um, he was doing something that he wasn't supposed to do. He took a census of all his fighting men. And if you read the story, um, basically what ends up happening is that he sends out his, his commander, Joab, um, to go take a census of all the fighting men. Joab ba- basically says to him, what are you doing? Um, I don't think we should be doing this. And David's like, go take the census. Joab comes back with... Uh, with a number of about 800,000 fighting men, men able to pick up a sword and fight. And, and David um, is basically trying to figure out, does he have enough men to accomplish what God had called him to do? And so basically what he's doing, in a, and it's very subtle, and we do this all the time, so we can't really harp on David, um, but I think it's a valuable lesson that we can draw from this story if you take the time to read it, and that is is that David, Um, started to put his trust on what he saw in front of him rather than what God had told him he would do for him. Because we are a people of faith, are we not? And so David takes this consensus or this census on do I have enough men to win this fight? Do I have enough men to fight this battle? Do I have enough men To walk away from this victoriously. And so instead of just trusting God for the win, David goes and makes sure that he has enough men for the win, therefore not really putting his trust in God but putting his trust in man. God rebukes David through a prophet and then basically gives him three outs. He says, okay, behind door number one, you're gonna have three years of famine. Behind door number two, you're gonna be on the run for three years. I mean, this is what basically the prophet says that God says he would do. He says, you pick one. You pick which disciplinary action. It's like your mom saying, do you want the switch the chancla or the the fuete or the belt? It's basically you pick, you're you're gonna get it, but you pick how you want it. And basically, that's what God said to David. Read the story. It's an incredible story. And so David's like, well, I don't want to be chased down by men. I'd rather be basically put into the mercies, the, mercy, the merciful hands of God. So I'll, I'll take what's behind door number one. Give us three years of famine. And basically, that's what happens. But pursuing that, David then decides to do what's right, and that is repent of his sin for tr- for for challenging God, in his trust of God, and this is where we take off in 2 Samuel chapter twenty four, verse twenty one through twenty five. Araunah uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> said, "Why has my Lord the King come to his servant to buy your threshing floor?" David answered, "So I can build an altar to the Lord, because again David was going to repent. He was going to bring us sacrifices unto the, unto the Lord for his repentance." And David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. So he knew he had chosen what was behind door number one, but he didn't want the people to have to pay for his sin. Everybody tracking with me? And so he says, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Araunah said to David, let my Lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and the oxen yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Araunah, gives us all gives all this to the king Arana also said to him may the lord your god accept you so get the picture so david being the king of israel goes to Arana. he has a threshing floor which he can purchase from him and oxen which he can purchase from him and wood that he could purchase for him so that he can build an altar and sacrifice it to the lord on behalf of his sin for the atonement or the covering of his misdoing and give it to God so that God can forgive him and he can move forward and he would be right with God. Because this is the way that it was taken care of in the Old Testament. Rana basically says, King, you don't have to buy anything. I got you. The threshing floors is yours. I, I want to give it to you as an offering from me to you. The oxen are yours as an offering from me to you. The wood is an offering from me to you. And so, so basically David was getting everything he needed to repent and get right with God uh, and to move forward with God from one of his um, kingsmen, somebody from his community. And then in verse 24, this is the incredible thing that David responds. He says this, but the king replied to Araunah, um, no, I insist on paying you for it, for I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God Burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord. And there was a sacrifice, burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land. And the plague on Israel was stopped. A beautiful story of a heart of generosity. Here's here's what I want you to zone in on what King David said. He said... I will never give God something that doesn't cost me anything. This is the heart of generosity. And David was known and celebrated as a man after God's own heart. How many want to be known as a man or a woman after God's own heart by God? I can care less about people but God, right? And so um, there's an interesting story of a little girl by the name of Hattie Mae Wyatt. she's a little girl who lived in Philadelphia in the late 19th century, and she died and left her life savings of 57 cents to Grace Baptist Church so they would build a bigger building for the children's Sunday school. When the church learned of her generous gift, they gave toward her vision and bought a property that then expanded to Temple College, which then became Temple University, and led to the Temple University Hospital. And the story captured in a sermon by Russell Conwell, which, kept, which is kept in the university's library website. And, and in that, he writes, just like the widow's two mites, we can never measure the possible effectiveness of our sincere gift for God's purposes. It doesn't matter how small of a difference we might think we're making. God will use our tithes and offerings and do something miraculous. And so the, the moral of the story, that it isn't necessarily how much you give, but the heart in which you give it. Amen? So believe it or not, the Bible has a lot to say about financial stewardship. In fact, if anybody here is watching the economy, we need prayer. Amen? Amen? We need prayer. If you're watching the market, if you're watching all of it and everything that everybody's saying, um, if there's ever a season or ever a time that we all need to remain good stewards over how we spend what God has placed in our hands to steward, right now is the time to tighten your belt and to make sure that you're not spending frivolously. Because supposedly we're going into a continual economic down slope, but the reality is is that we're a kingdom people. So our economy is not based on what's happening out there. Our economy is based on what he says up there, right? Okay, four people clapped. Praise God. Some of you are like, "Well, you haven't seen my stocks. You haven't seen my bonds. You haven't." I get that. Um, but I just want you to lean in to what God says. And how many would agree that how, how about we just honor what God says to us and do what God tells us to do, whatever he tells you to do, however little or extravagant, we just, we're just we obedient to God and let him be who he said he is, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So when you look at Scripture, did you know that there's over twenty? Three almost 2,400 verses in the Bible on finances alone. 20, almost 24, it's actually 2,350 on just finances alone. In fact, most scholars and theologians will tell you that Jesus spoke more about hell and money than anything else in all of Scripture. This is Jesus. Why? Well, because one... He doesn't want any of us to go to hell, and two, that there are so many people that have surrendered their hearts to the God of money, for the love of money is the what? Root of all evil. And so he says you can't serve two masters, you gotta love one and hate the other. And so what he's encouraging us to do is to love Jesus, love God, and hate the principality or the power of mammon that this world has over so many people's lives. So clearly, God wants us to have a plan um, for financial stewardship. And according to Scripture, again, many theologians believe tithing is one of the several practices that the Bible wants us to use. Now, today, there are a lot of different teachings on the issue. And it's not surprising that people come to me with some pretty interesting questions on the issue. Um, Obviously, any discussion on finances could be a sensitive topic. And again, over the years... Um, I've learned that there are two topics that people don't want any advice on. Um, their children, the way that they manage their children, and the way that they manage their finances. Um, but at the same time, the Bible has some pretty thing, amazing things to say in both cases. Like, train up a child in the way that they should go. So that they, when they are older, they won't depart from him. So th- there's scripture that teaches you older women train up the younger women, older men, train up the younger men. Younger people honor those above you. Honor your mother and father that comes with the promise of long life. So there's a lot of scripture in the Bible that helps us steward what God has placed in our hands to steward. In Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 through 10, the Bible says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So let me just say that I felt really convicted about this recently because I honestly believe that at Restoration Life, we were doing a really good job um, through our DNA growth track at training and teaching properly what the Bible says about stewarding not just our vision or our mission, not just stewarding biblical truth and our giftings, but also how to steward our finances. And to be honest with you, I don't, I don't really believe that I've done a really good job. And so for that, I repent. I apologize. I'm sorry. I want you to hear my heart on this. Because as I was, as I was processing all of this and praying over all of this in the mountain, I was like, what kind of a, what kind of a pastor um, am I? And what kind of a spiritual father? What kind of a biological father would I be if I ignored teaching my very own children if if I didn't ignore teaching my daughter and my son, the power of the tithe and the power of being generous, like why wouldn't that transition into the way that I pastor and in the way that I'm a spiritual dad, uh, or a spiritual father figure to so many um, in my life? And I just felt like like when I was up on the mountain with Roxanne, you know, ministering at this marriage retreat in my hotel room, I I just asked God to forgive me um, for not being a fervent and passionate about helping people understand the power of generosity because Roxanne and I have lived under under the umbrella of God's provision for the last 32 years and we've been faithful in the little and God has just given us more to be faithful over but but this is a conviction that I've had for my family and my children and now my children's children I really believe in the power of generosity through the through the act of practicing the tithe and or um, whatever God puts on your heart to give. And so I wanted to publicly repent and ask our church to forgive me for not making this teaching essential over the last, you know, over the last year or even at least once or twice a year just so that you can have an amazing opportunity to store treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Is that okay? So do you forgive me? Okay, cool. Some of you are like, I don't know. (laughs) What if you didn't have to live paycheck to paycheck because you were a good steward over your finances? What if if you didn't have to feel enslaved um, to all your debtors because you had a different mindset over finances? In fact, I saw one of my brothers, I I don't know, Marcus Stein, he was in here earlier. We were very adamant about helping young couples that were coming into holy matrimony how to properly steward their finances because finances is one of the reasons why um, a lot of people get divorced. There's communication, um, there's intimacy, and there's finances. And finances that actually comes in before, believe it or not, intimacy. And so... We would always encourage couples, take Financial Peace University to make sure that you know how to steward your finances so that you know how to save and you know how to grow and you know how to invest so that you're not a slave to this society or what they say you have to do. But in all actuality, as you surrender yourself to God and the stewardship that he's put in your life, you can walk in the blessing and, the, and, 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 and in the, and the provision that God makes for those who are faithful to him. He's even more faithful to To us, Can anybody say amen to that? And so how many of you have taken Financial Peace University here at Restoration Life? Um, Not enough. Not enough of us. Um, But it is an incredible ministry um, that we probably will uh, look at helping people get back in uh, to help you navigate, you know, getting out of debt and living debt-free. How many of you want to live debt-free? Come on, just wave wave your hands at me. Right? Some of you want to stay in debt. Okay, cool. Whatever. You do you, boo. All right. (laughs) Um, I don't want to live in debt, um, but we live in a nation and in a culture where some debt is understandable, but not all debt needs to be lived in. And I think that if you don't have to have this massive overhead of debt on your life, um, maybe you can have um, a lot more freedom to do some things with your finances for your family. You know the Bible says that a good father or a good husband leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children? Like, I want to be able to leave an inheritance for my kids and my kids' kids, but the the best inheritance that I can leave with them is a relationship with Jesus. And then everything flows from that. Um, So I've read some arguments for both, both for and against tithing, and there are probably people here this morning that that sit on either side of that argument. And although there are a lot of good articles on on both, um, for and against tithing, Many of um, against tithing come from people who have been treated poorly by churches or who have allowed narratives in their lives that seem to bend Scripture in a way that fits their financial ambitions. Also, some have come from people that come from churches where there was gross mismanagement or endless fundraisers. In fact, I saw this, um, I saw this uh, Google review on our church saying that um, we're not transparent with our finances. And, and that, um, that you should run from the church. And so I responded to that person. And I said, well, uh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But if you were a member of, of our church, you would recognize that we have a yearly church financial meeting where we show where all of our finances are allocated to and we have an umbrella or a board that sits over those finances uh, to secure the integrity and the wise stewardship of our finances for the vision of this house, you are more than welcome to come back to Restoration Life. You are more than welcome to join and be a member. And then you will have access to know what's going on in our church financially. No response whatsoever. Because people don't know what they don't know. They just assume... And get themselves in a lot of trouble. But here's what happens to a lot of people that veer away from the tithe or the generosity, either side of that. Their frustrations end up manifesting itself in a theological debate um, that really holds no water when it comes to Scripture. Now I can relate to some of these people because as a pastor I've known pastors who are horrible financial managers. In fact, I've had to confront a pastor or two in my leadership lifetime of leadership as a pastor because of the lack of integrity in their finances. And what ends up happening is that they ended up um, canceling our relationship. Because that's the culture that we live in. If you disagree with someone, you cancel them. Like, you stop being their friend. you, You don't talk to them anymore. When in reality, I'm just like, hey, man, I'm trying to help you keep maintain financial integrity because when the people in your church are giving to anything specific we are obligated to give all of that into whatever they're giving to that's our responsibility and i I, i've checked the pastor too that we're my friends and stopped being my friends in fact many of you don't even know this that we ask all of our church plants and our campuses to show us all of their all of their income all of their inlets and In an itemized way and where all their expenses go because we believe in financial integrity. Am I talking to anybody here today? Right? We believe in that. We believe in financial integrity. So um, no matter what your experience has been, I simply ask that you study God's word and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal his truth in his word so that you can be in alignment with God and not the error of human mismanagement. Now, if you're anything like I was growing up, I was very impulsive with money. You see something, you like it, you buy it. Anybody with me? Raise your hand. That's you. That's you right now. It's like, man, I want that. Boom. Oh, I don't have cash. Credit card. Right? So let's ask a couple of just basic questions. What is tithing? What is, is this okay, you guys? Are you guys okay with this? Nobody's shutting me down right now? Okay, good. So what is tithing? The biblical te- definition of tithing is practice the practice of giving 10% of what your increase is or what comes into your household as an offering to the Lord. So if you were a rancher, and again, a lot of what we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to tithing has to do with agriculture. It has to do with, with herds and cattle and, and animals and things of this nature. Um, but it also comes in, in the form of other things as well when you look at what happened um, through Jesus' ministry. But um, let's say you have 100 cattle. You're, you're, you're like Yellowstone, right? You're, 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 you're a rancher. You have 100 cattle. If God says, 10% of your cattle belong to me, bring them to the storehouse and sacrifice them to me, how many cattle would that be? Huh? 10 that would be 10 cattle, which means that you get, you get to use the 90 cattle to reproduce cattle, to, to do everything, that, to, to make carne asada, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, to sell, uh, to, to change or exchange or whatever, or to stud out, whatever that is, the 90% now belongs to you as a good steward over what belongs to you. And so tithing, if you want to fill in the blank on your app, tithing is a pledge of trust to god it's a pledge of trust to god a pastor once said tithing is merely a way of saying to god i want you to be my business partner but i'll be the chief of operations and you be the chief executive that's basically what tithing is for example god says in malachi and i know we're all i know some of you right now going this is all old testament we'll get to the new testament just give me give me give me some time Malachi three ten and 12 says this. Bring the whole tithe. How much of it? Whole tithe. Into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And then God says this. And it's the only place in all of Scripture that you're allowed to do this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. How many want that? Right? I, I think... I think we all do. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. says the, And the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Why does it keep saying that? Then all the nations will call you blessed, and yours will be a uh, delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. There's something powerful about bringing what belongs to God to God. In fact, I didn't even read to you what it said before Malachi chapter 10. It says, will a man rob God? And the man says, well, how have I robbed you? God responds in your tithe. And in your offering. Now what, it mean, what does it mean to rob someone? To what? Take to take what's not yours. So is it honest to say, based on what Scripture is saying, that the tithe is not yours, it actually belongs to God? Is that what the Bible says or is that what Eddie says? It's what the Bible says. Okay. In other words, God will give us divine opportunities and provision that would, not on, that would not otherwise be humanly possible because of our faithfulness to give to him what belongs to him. Malachi 3.10, again, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, some people are like, well, what's the storehouse? Well, in that time, it was the temple. That's where they brought their sacrifices. In fact, there were people that would travel to the temple and they would have to give a sin offering on behalf of their family or on behalf of their community. And maybe they didn't have the ability to carry the animal with them that, that long period of time. And what they would do is that there were money changers in front of the temple. And they would sell like cattle, doves, sheep, goats for you to be able to buy from them so that you can go into the temple and, and, and present your sacrifice. But they would rob you they would actually rape you to a degree financially because you're paying, it's like going to Disneyland and buying a Coke. This <laughs> just rape, man. I'm sorry that I put it on those terms, but look, you can buy a bottle of water in a case of 32, and, it, and if you break it down, it's like 25 cents a bottle. That same bottle, right, you go into the store, it's a dollar, like the corner store, it's a dollar. That same bottle inside of your hotel room, it's $4. That same bottle at the airport is like $8, right? So where's the value come from? The value comes from wherever it's being sold. Everybody tracking with me on this? And so sometimes we're willing to pay more than we should because we didn't prepare properly for where we were going. And so Malachi reminds us to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and in today's terms, the storehouse would be your place of worship, where you're being discipled, where you're being trained, where you're being biblically educated, where you're being counseled, where you're being released. That would be, the tithe would come to this storehouse. It doesn't, your tithe does not belong to to Benny Hinn. Uh, Your tithe does not belong to CBN. Your tithe does not belong to TBN. Your tithe does not belong to the liquor store on the corner. Um, can I, can I just say this, before I became a Christian, I tied at least 60% to the devil. All the alcohol and the drugs, you know how much it costs to get into clubs? I tied like 60% to Satan when I wasn't a Christian and then I had a problem with 10 to God? Not just a thought. What is the history of the tithe? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Tithing literally means, or actually comes from the principle of first fruits. And it can be traced back to the Garden of Eden. The practice of tithing was popularized during the time of Moses, though. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Anybody remember Adam's kids? Adam and Eve's kids? Cain and Abel? What happened there? Abel brought an offering that was accepted by God, and Cain brought an offering that wasn't accepted by God. When when Cain saw that Abel's offering was accepted by God, and Abel's offering wasn't accepted by God, what did Cain do to Abel? He killed them. So we can trace the idea of tithe and offering, or first fruits, or generosity, all the way back to the garden even before it was allocated as the tithe. In the Old Testament, the Levites were essentially a group of people from the tribe of Levi who were devoted to the work of the ministry. Being that this was a tribe from which Moses and Aaron were brought up from, the Levites were a logical group devoted to carrying out the systems of worship for the rest of Israel. So God establishes the tithe so that he could establish the priesthood so that they can take care of the house of God and keep worship in front of Israel. Is this relating to anybody? Because of this task, the law prohibited them from doing normal agricultural activity, which was, a di- which was the way that they would typically live. But in the promised land, they were designated to go to certain cities and establish a place of worship For God, Numbers 18, 25-21, the Bible says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you receive from the Israelites the tithe as I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as a grain from the threshing floor or juice from the winepress. In this way, you will also present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give to the Lord the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest.'" You must present as the Lord's portion the best and the holiest part of everything given to you. Say to the Levites, when you present the the best part, it will be reckoned to you as the product of the threshing floor, the wine press. You and your households may eat of the rest of it anywhere, for it is your wages for your work at the tent of meeting. So, what was he saying? Basically, God established a systematic structure for the nation of Israel to, to bring their tithe to the storehouse. And out of that tithe, they would establish the Levitical priesthood that would bring worship and sacrifice and discipleship and training to the rest of the Israelites and teaching them the Torah, the word of God. And then God says, and out of 10% of that 10%, you guys can eat. That's basically what was happening here. And and let me just say this to people that are new to our church today. In no way, shape, or form am I I asking you to commit yourself to tithes and offerings at Restoration Life, right? This is is for for Restoration Lifers, okay? If you're new to Restoration Life, we welcome you, and, and we're excited for you to be here, but... This is the very first time in 13 years that I'm ever ministering something at this level of depth so that can help bring understanding and hopefully help see some families get financially free and being good stewards over what God has placed in their hands to steward, okay? And so, because you know the saying, all the church wants is your... That's not true. God wants it. All right, let's go. it doesn't. He owns everything, doesn't he? Didn't God own everything? You know what I find interesting? We can trust God with our eternal soul. We can trust God with literally our salvation in Christ. We can trust God. To answer our prayer. We can trust God that his word is truth. We can trust God for all these things. And yet so many of us have a, such a hard time with trusting God with our finances. It bewilders me sometimes to think of that. And, and honestly what I heard God reveal to me. It's, it's, it's kind of the same way that David dealt with the census. People will trust And lean on their own understanding first before they trust in God and all his ways. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 22, Moses seemed to add a new legislation to the the tithe. Because remember, it was called first fruits and then it became a tithe. And in Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29, it says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of all that year's produce and stored in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows that live in your towns may come to eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So basically what God instituted through Moses in the third year, the second tithe, which is like a 10%, was added to, was added to the previous 10% to be given for the purpose of helping the poor. Therefore, tithes... Were applied to numerous things the tithe went to take care of the Levitical priesthood those that served in ministry uh, in the storehouses that were local um, the third year a potential secondary tithe in addition to the tithe would go to the national center of their worship as well as to the less fortunate but the point of the tithes was threefold was threefold now watch first to keep reverence and faith in their hearts of the people towards God. That was their pri- their priority. To make sure that there was a house of worship that kept God and His truth out in front of all of Israel all the time. Secondly, to empower the Levites to continue their full-time devotion towards keeping worship in front of Um, by discipling and training um, those in the communities. And thirdly, to provide a budget from which the Levites could serve God's people in various ways. Taking care of widows, those less fortunate, those that were hungry. And so why would people resist the tithe now? After all, doesn't it make sense that we want to keep worship alive in the South Bay? Restoration Life, do we want to keep worship alive of Jesus in the South Bay? That all comes from the tithe. How about to create common budgets and storehouses from which we can reach out to the hurting? How many would agree to that? Right? What about, what about for those that are hungry? To be able to feed them. Don't you think we should make room for that? And isn't it incredible that we do all of those three things here at Restoration Life Church? Come on, somebody give God some praise. In fact, the very reason why we're unlike many of the churches in our own network, we have a full-time staff of ministers here, is because of the faithfulness of the few in their tithe and in their offering. Do you know out of 23 churches in the network that we birthed out, only three of those churches have full-time, a full-time pastor. Every other church has bivocational pastors. And I just came back from putting a pastors on sabbatical that have been bivocational for 17 years and they don't think they're coming back to ministry. because I think that the church today, not our church, but the church globally has gotten a skewed interpretation of the tithe and the offering. All right, pastor, I'm I'm not Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. That was Old Testament tithe, Old Testament giving, Old Testament generosity. Someone else would say, can we get to the part where I become rich because I give 10%? I'm super generous and I like to see the index of my investments broken down on a financial spreadsheet. And somebody else might say, um, I'm not even going to go there. I would say to you that many of those things are not really accurate at all because one of the things that we're very protective over at our church is that we don't creep into the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. We don't believe that that God is going to make everybody millionaires in the church. Although that would be really cool for everyone in the church. But that's a false gospel. That's not what God promises us. God always promises that He'll always be with us. That He never leaves us or forsake us. That no matter what we go through, that He's going to be right alongside of us. And that all things are going to work together for our good. And to our benefit. But it doesn't mean that you're all going to be multimillionaires just because you tithe. Or you're generous. What He does promise, that if you give it will be given back to you. That's what He does promise. There are, there are promises that He makes based on generosity. Let me just say this. It's interesting that the law of generosity isn't specific to Christians only. It's to all of mankind. So is, so is tithing a New Testament principle then, Pastor? Because I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. Before sharing what I think about all this, allow me to give you just a few facts about tithing that most scholars agree on. First of all, it's important to note that tithing pre-existed the Mosaic Law and the law that was fulfilled with the death of Christ Jesus. Most arguments against the tithe usually appeal to convoluted arguments about Christ fulfilling the ceremonial law. In other words, we're under grace, we're not under the law anymore. And so, therefore, we don't have to tithe anymore. And, of course, there's a certain truth to such a line of reasoning, after all, um, we don't continue in animal sacrifices unless you're a hunter like me. But we don't bring animals to the church to sacrifice. In fact, I remember when we first started the church. Where's J.D.? I, I, I thought I saw J.D. J.D., are you in here? J.D., you remember when, when, when that guy brought that little rabbit to church and he coddled it like a baby, like it was wrapped up in a baby? Yeah, it was kind of scary, man. It was kind of freaky. It's just an awkward moment. You remember this, right? Um, this guy was like praying for like to adopt a child. He always wanted a child. And, and I think he worked at the hotel too. And one day he came in swaddling what looked like a baby. And we're like, oh my gosh, somebody gave him a baby. And, and we went we, and he brought the baby to the altar like, like to get prayer over. And, and I went to go pray and lay hands. And I was like, oh my gosh. It was a full-blown rabbit with long ears. And, and I was like, oh, man. I was like, look, we don't do animal sacrifices in church anymore. But if you're going to bring an animal. <laughs> you, you follow what I'm saying? So the ceremonial law of sacrifice was done away with because Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross for all of us. As a lamb without spot or blemish, he was our ultimate sacrifice. Perfect and pure and holy and the only one who was able to redeem us back to himself. Now, again, there are some certain lines of reasoning with some old things there, but many systematic theologians feel it's a poor argument because tithing predated the Mosaic Law. For example, Abraham tithed 430 years before the Mosaic Law was even instituted. Secondly, can I just show you a portion of scripture in Matthew 23 23? And I know we're kind of bringing this down to a close but but I want to teach you this stuff because I want to help you walk in financial freedom and biblical stewardship. Is that okay? Matthew 23 23 Jesus was advocating for the tithe when he said this. He said in Matthew 23 23 woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees. What does he call them? He calls them hypocrites because they were making a big deal out of something that shouldn't have been a big deal. And God wanted them to make a big deal out of a big deal and not a big deal out of a minor deal. And so he says this, What are you teachers of the law? Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the what? The more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then what does Jesus say? You should have practiced the latter without neglecting Did Jesus do away with the tithe? No, he didn't. But a lot of people tend to just go right over to Paul and just focus on what he talks about when it comes to generosity, not even recognizing that the tithe is the base and the generosity goes above the tithe. Am I helping anybody here? And so a lot of brilliant, more educated men than I Have taken this to be clear affirmation that so long as the tithe is stewarded in a holy and just manner, that it still applies to Christians today. Even more context, Jesus' sermon in Matthew 6, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this, watch this. He says, Honor the Lord with your what? With your what? Wealth. The first fruits of all your crops, then your what? Barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Uh, with new wine, does anybody remember who else said that in the Old Testament? Moses did, right? Moses said that through the prophet, or, or, or through the Word of God. I'm sorry. Now let's read Matthew six nineteen through thirty three, because Jesus is basically, in the context of Jewish tradition, basically re-preaching an Old Testament principle. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what does he say? There will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light is in you, is if, if then The light is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? And then he says this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. So he's he's saying either you're serving God or you're not serving God. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory. It's a lie. It's false teaching. There's no such thing as purgatory. It's either you serve God or you serve Satan. It's neither, it's either or. You can't serve God and Satan. You have to love one and hate the other. Isn't that what the Bible says? But it's interesting the way that Jesus presents this scripture. He says, no one can serve two masters, for they will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Money. I find it so interesting that the God, the pagan God of mammon is the God of money that has a lot of people enslaved to living in poverty when God wants your soul and your life to prosper. Can I add that you're not supposed to serve your money, your money is supposed to serve you. Come on, let me add to that. You're not supposed to serve your money, your money is supposed to serve God through you. Has it gotten uncomfortable yet? Okay. Hold on. I'll make you uncomfortable. God establishes the tithe and the offering or the generosity to establish the kingdom on earth through the local church. To plant churches and campuses and ministries that reach people. the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most important thing to us at Restoration Life is to preach the gospel to the whosoever's of this world so that they can come into a personal relationship with Jesus where they they get saved, they get baptized, they get discipled, they get raised up, they get trained up empowered by the Holy Spirit and released to fulfill whatever God put them on this planet for. That's our purpose. To train up and equip devoted disciples and leaders right to help feed the hungry to clothe the naked to house the homeless and we're not really good at housing the homeless but you know what there are other ministries that are really great at doing that and that's what their focus is on housing the homeless to rescue children through destiny rescue come on I could keep going I could keep going watch this then Jesus says this therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink Not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And what are you anxious about? And why are you anxious about clothing, ladies? Anyways, consider the lilies of the valley or the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He's talking about the most wealthy man that ever existed on the planet, King Solomon. And Jesus is saying, even Solomon wasn't clothed with this kind of majesty. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then He says this, come on, everybody read with me, but seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is Jesus. Those listening to Jesus would have unmistakably connected Christ's message with the Old Testament system and counterpart. But for me, in addition to Scripture, there is so much more that we can can learn from our our forefathers, our Christian forefathers, our spiritual forefathers. And and I I, want to make this statement because I want to land somewhere that you guys can go home um, with some food. Is this okay? I've got five minutes. Are you, are you willing to go through this for the next five minutes and then just close in prayer? All right. I, 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 think, I think I just want to land this plane. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says this. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And so here's what I want to say to you. Here's the fourth point that I want to make to you. Generosity is not about how much you have. It's about how much you trust God with what you have. Tithing and generosity is not about what you have. It's about how much you trust God with what you have. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 through 25 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters himself will be watered. And so why am I teaching you this? Because I want you to experience what my wife and I and my family have experienced over the last 32 years of our Christianity. Now does that mean that we haven't had difficult times in our finances throughout the last 32 years? That's not what I'm saying. Um, does that mean that there was never a time where we needed to tighten our belts? And 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 I mean like really, really tighten our belts and, and not be frivolous with... Our expenditures. Absolutely. There, there, are, there are those times. Um, but I've also seen God's miracle hand on everything that I've ever done and sacrificed to Him. I'll close with this story. Um, when I was running a company out here in Inglewood uh, for about eight years, I'd taken this company from making $10,000 a week to about $45,000 a week um, by restructuring the way the company operates, by hiring new mechanics by asking the owner to get out of the office because he was the main problem. Sometimes owners are the problem. And I was brought in as a head technician and then went into management and restructured the business based on the way my dad taught me um, how to run our business when we had a business in Hollywood. And I remember that I was making an incredible amount of money back in that day. Like... Like, just hand over foot. Money was just coming in. And like an idiot, I was, I, was, I was spending a lot of it just frivolously. But Roxanne and I had established a system that 10% belonged to God, 10% belonged to me, and 80% became our operating budget. So everything that I did in our family went from the 80% offering budget. Now I did a lot of extra work and so any of the money that I got in from that extra work, 10% of that went to God, 10% of that went into my savings and so I was able to put away a lot of money before um, it got really hard and difficult for us. And so that's kind of the way that we've structured our finances. 80% is our operating, 10% belongs to God, 10% belongs to me and then we were just generous with so many things whenever they came up in the church because that's how I was taught to believe in faith. So I remember when um, I was making all this money, like like again, I took it from 10 grand a week to 40, 45 grand a week by the restructuring and he had to pay me 10% on whatever I brought in. So on Friday, on, and we're talking about 18 years ago. Just so, do the math, 18 years ago, I went in as a master technician making a certain amount of money, and then when I went into management, I said I want 10% of what I bring in, which basically aligned to what he was already bringing in, and he said if you make anything over this amount, you can keep a percentage of that amount, and I took the company from 10%, uh, 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 10000 a week to 40000 45000 dollars a week, and then now he had to pay me out a lot more money than he thought he had to. But it was easy to give me 10 percent when it was at 10 grand. It became hard to give me 10 percent when it was at 45 grand. Everybody tracking with me? And so finally, there came a day that um, a company that knew a- a- about the way that I ran this company came to me and offered me a million-dollar company with no deposit. They said to me, "Listen, we know who you are. We know all the accounts that you run. You're well known in the area. We want to give you this company for you to take it over and run. And we just want you to give us a 10% franchise tax fee for it. I was like, I was like okay. I'm already going, I'm already leaving here. So I already have something to step into here. So yeah, let's do that. And, and then I sat down with corporate. They, they gave me all the intel. And next thing you know, they said to me, we want you to take away all the accounts and all the clientele for the company that you just left and we want you to bring it over here so that our 10% will increase and we'll get a bigger percentage but we're giving you this million dollar company at no down payment. And the moment I heard that, in my spirit, I said, I just felt "This, this is wrong. This is wrong. And so I rejected the offer and I said no. I won't take the company on They're like why not? I said because I can't take from another man's plate even though I already know I'm on my way out and we're not in a good place. My devotion is to God and my integrity is to God and not to man and I just really believe that whatever God is doing in this he's gonna make a way where there is no way. And so I rejected the offer and then <laughs> the guy that I protected we came together and we shook hands and like I'm done I'm done okay good I'm done I'm gone I left and I started working for another company and took that company from making what it was making to record-breaking numbers in Hermosa Beach but I went into that company and told that owner I said look God's got a call on my life and I know that I'm supposed to pastor and I'm I'm pioneering a church in Redondo Beach and so just know that you might have me for two years but soon, I'm not going to work for you anymore, and I'm going to ask you for um, my days to be cut down so that I can go into full-time ministry, and when that happened, that company offered me a six-digit income, but I'd have to be away around the nation building their companies for them, and I said no to them, and I started working for this little company, started having all these record-breaking numbers, and next thing you know, um, the church started to grow in Redondo Beach, and I told them, listen, I can't. I can't continue to work here as long as I work here, because i got to give all my focus to the people that God's given me to lead, to train up the disciple. And and interestingly enough, every day that I took off of work to focus on the church, the income that I generated paid me for a full week up until the time I went full-time in ministry. And here I am, 20-something years later, giving God everything and all the glory, and God's always been faithful. God's always been faithful. Now... Some of you may or may not know that, but I'm just telling you my story and my experience with honoring God, with the first fruits, with the tithe, with the offering, because it all belongs to Him anyways. And so God cares more about your trust in Him than your trust in yourself. That makes sense? Can we all stand to our feet? If, if this helped anybody, say amen with me uh, today. And, and, and I promise um, we won't talk a lot more about this um, after next week. All right. For just a moment, if you could just close your eyes. Um, you're in a financial struggle right now. Where, wherever you are financially, you know, right now your family's struggling. And I just wanna pray that God just move on your behalf, to move on behalf of your faith today. Um, we're not gonna have an altar call, but maybe you just need a financial miracle. Um, you need wisdom in your finances, you need help in your finances. Um, for whatever reason, um, you're just navigating some difficulty financially and you just need God to move on your behalf. If that's you, just kind of raise both your hands and just surrender whatever it is that you're navigating through to God right now. It belongs to God, you're giving it, you're giving it to God. It belongs to God, not to us, it belongs to God. And so right now, as your hands are just raised, right where you're at, Father in Jesus' name. Lord, I just thank you for open hearts and minds to your living word. I pray, Father God, over their businesses, over their employment, over their finances, I pray that you begin to move in a miraculous way. Let them see, let them see that you are Jehovah Jireh, that you are our provider. And God, with our lives and what you've placed in our hands, we'll be good stewards today. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Can we give God another big hand of praise today? Thank you so much for allowing me to teach this this morning. Turn around, give somebody a high five. It's good to have you in the house. Make sure that if you're not connected, did you get connected with VIP, we will see you next Sunday at Restoration Life. We love you.